The purpose of your life is becoming conscious. In this podcast, Eckhart talks about outgrowing unconsciousness. He says, only awareness can free us of our resentments, judgments, and negative thinking. Those deeply ingrained patterns that keep us stuck. He says, as our awareness grows, we realize we have choices in how we respond to life situations, and we are no longer at the mercy of our conditioning. When we finally recognize these patterns for what they are, we transcend them. We don't have to be prisoner to a dysfunctional past. Eckhart says, as we move toward greater consciousness, we are in deeper alignment, not only with ourselves, but also with the purpose of the universe. It's a good thing the chair is still there. (laughs) That's called mindful sitting down. I'm sorry that some of you have to let go of your seats. (laughs) And perhaps others have to let go of their resentment. There's always something to let go of. (laughs) Sometimes thoughts, abstract thoughts, emotional thoughts are harder to let go of than material things. Although ultimately your attachment to material things is also really an attachment to a thought form because the only way in which you experience really a material thing is in the realm of the invisible, in the realm of the mind, because you might think that there's a car there, let's say it's a material thing, let's say it is a car that that is favored by the ego, I can't think of a name, Rolls Royce, Maserati, Lamborghini, Testarossa, 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 something. But when you experience the car or anything, before you experience it, it becomes, well, on the physical level, there's a visual perception and that's then it's translated into impulses, nerve impulses, they travel to the brain. But these things, we don't really know whether they exist totally on the physical level, that we just don't can't quite figure out how or what it is, then the brain somehow reassembles something and then in the realm of the unseen, because nobody as yet by cutting open somebody's brain can find their Lamborghini, the, Im- <laughs> the image of the Lamborghini that the ego had identified with, because if you experience it there, but where is it? So the, you don't actually experience the material car, you experience a representation in the realm of the unseen of what you call my car. And 
philosophers have spoken about that and have even questioned and asked, is there actually, well, they didn't mention car, but is there actually a car out there? Is there a car out there? Because you don't know. What is the thing in itself? Who knows? Perhaps it's all happening in the realm of imagination, the entire life experience, but let's not go into speculation too much. But yes, you experience everything as mental formations. So ultimately, even letting go of a material possession is letting go of a thought, a thought form that represents this material thing. So it's always letting go of forms, thought forms. And uh, an important thought form, the importance of saying, I don't know, and that is an openness. And a very important thought form to let go of uh, is the thought form that says, I, I know. And usually, I know implies a certain mental position and you identify with a mental position. That's how it is. And the moment you do that, you're, you're not really learning anymore because you're already, everything is already fixed in your mind. When you know who somebody is, you've already come to a conclusion about another person. Because, perhaps, yes, perhaps with some justification, because you have experienced repeated patterns of behavior in that person that may have taken you to that conclusion about that person. <coughs> Nevertheless, it is a kind of prison that you have formulated for that other person in your mind, because you've come, this is how he or she, this is how he is, this is how. And you have perhaps certain labels that are part of this mental conclusion of who this person is. And that means when you have identified with a thought form of that kind, you're never really meeting that person anymore. You're only meeting that person through the screen of your conclusions, the screen of your judgments. And whatever the person does, you will continue to focus on those things that the person says or does that uh, confirm to you that your conclusion about that person is correct. And you would ignore any other behavior or words from that person that do not conform to that conclusion that you have already formulated in your mind about that person. But it also means that ultimately you're not only putting that person in a mental prison, you're also putting yourself in a mental prison in relationship to that person. So the judgment always goes two ways. And there was somebody 2,000 years ago who also reminded us to let go of judgment. Don't judge, otherwise you will be judged. If you let go of judgment, then you free yourself too. I think he said that, it's not literally in the Bible. So this conclusion also about yourself, that is a big one for many people, 
some people come to a mental conclusion about themselves or their life. And so you build up a mental image a consisting of conceptualization that tells you, you're telling yourself who you are or what your life is. So you come to a conclusion about who you are. That's another prison. In other words, you inhabit a conceptual reality, meaning it consists of thought forms without knowing it. And the thought forms provide you with your sense of self. And that is, of course, ego. That's how it operates. And then it's hard to break out once you have certain conclusions about yourself or what you call my life. Could be very negative, it could be positive, a mixture of negative and positive. Some people have a predominantly negative view of themselves, low self-esteem, bad body image in all kinds of things that I mentioned earlier, don't feel good, good enough, not knowledgeable enough, not good looking enough, whatever it is, not intelligent enough. Or you have, can have the other, somebody who feels they are actually superior in most aspects to most people. Now, this could be a total delusion. Some people live with a almost totally delusional, delusional self-image. They're bordering on crazy. So there are, there are people walking around that have a highly inflated image of who they are that does not correspond to reality whatsoever. And perhaps we have all met people like that. So they inhabit a universe that has lost really connection with the rest of reality. But they seem to be happy in this world of delusion. Those are the more extreme cases, but it's a, it is a, there's a certain percentage of the population that manifests that kind of delusion. I don't know what the percentage is, uh, the, the extreme form. Maybe it's 2%, maybe it's 1%, but even if it's 1% of people, it's a lot of people. But others have a mixture of, they may be deluded in their negative views too. They they be completely fooling themselves when they have holding negative, that they're not good enough here, not good enough there. That may, may all, also be a delusion. In many cases it is. In many cases you can have people who are actually very good looking and they think they're ugly. And you can have people who have a great a body and they think they are overweight and then they starve themselves even more because there's a clash between the mental image and reality. So all kinds of strange things happen to humans in the absence of the dimension of awareness, presence, awareness, because it's only awareness that can free you from the entanglement in all kinds of thought forms and be trapped entirely in those thought forms. And no matter what it is, even if you're a relatively well-adjusted person, so say your self-image corresponds fairly well with what society thinks you are and your function in society and so on, 
even there you have identification with thought forms. So it's only awareness that frees you from this trap of being completely caught up in the formations of your mind. Basically it is another dimension of consciousness that arises. The moment you become aware of your mind and you're not no longer totally identified with whatever it is that your mind is saying, the moment that arises in you, then there's, that's the freedom comes in, the possibility of freedom comes in. A person who is completely unaware is totally at the mercy of their conditioned mind. This person is then totally conditioned by their mind, and the mind is conditioned by their past. Whatever happened in their past, it totally is conditioned by that. And so an unaware person basically has no choice. He or she acts out whatever action this person performs, whatever he does or she does or says or things, manifests just the, 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 that level of unconsciousness. So a very unconscious person is basically forced to act out their unconsciousness. And in that way, they create an enormous amount of suffering for themselves and others. Now the question arises, well, are you saying that a person who creates a lot of suffering for others, perhaps even inflicts violence on other humans or other life forms. Are you saying then that this person is not, we should not hold this person responsible for what they do? Well, because that seems to be the implication. If I'm saying that they have no choice because they are totally at the mercy of their conditioning, am I not saying then that we cannot hold them responsible for what they do. That's not quite it. So that would be jumping to a conclusion that is not quite correct, even though they do not have a choice and they are compelled to act the way they act. They will, this is how the universe is arranged, they will suffer the consequences of their unconsciousness. Unconscious humans, suffer the consequences of their unconsciousness. And that is, we could call that, if we want to use an Eastern term, karmic retribution, whatever we want to call it. Uh, unconscious humans can awaken if they only suffer enough. And usually the suffering is, in many, many cases, self-inflicted through their unconsciousness. They didn't have a choice, but that's how the universe this is one way in which the universe becomes more conscious. So by suffering the consequences of your unconsciousness, there's potentially you, you can awaken. And this, there are, there's, always, there's a certain number of people in prisons who are awakening in that way. This is why it's very important to get more and more um, books and other stuff into prisons. Uh, because a prison is an ideal place for surrender, for acceptance, for these are very unpleasant places. For an, uh, if you can surrender there, then you have to surrender very deeply. 
And if you surrender very deeply, you experience a deep and perhaps lasting transformation of consciousness. So we, we get regularly correspondence from people who have experienced a shift in consciousness in prison. And they have experienced enormous suffering. So you only begin to have a choice when, you are, when some awareness arises. And so they are no longer totally at the mercy of your conditioning, mental conditioning. And it could just, it, sometimes it just starts with being able to observe their conditioned behavior. Perhaps it's not stopping yet, you can't stop it, but there is a witnessing presence in the background that is observing, for example, that you are going through a ta anger tantrum. And, be, and before there was nobody else, there was only you where the anger. The anger was you and you were it. The emotion and the thoughts that accompany, go with the emotion got complete hold of you. And so that is complete identification. It's a inhabiting and hypnotic state and you couldn't get out of it. There was no you beyond the mental emotional pattern. And then it is possible that even though you may still be going through that dysfunctional pattern, in the background there is a knowing that this is, hmm, there's, there's, a, there's an aware presence that has, hmm, it's looking on. And you can feel there's some witness in the background. And that is the beginning of an awakening. And then the witness grows, the witnessing ability grows, or rather it begins to manifest more fully and then you may reach a point where you, uh, you encounter a similar situation that would usually trigger the reaction, the un completely unconscious reaction. You may then reach a point that where awareness has grown to such an extent that you are able to actually have a choice whether you still want to manifest that kind of behavior or not and then you can let go of it. That's an enormous thing. When you recognize your patterns in this way and transcend them, go beyond them, in that moment you are fulfilling the very purpose of your life because the purpose of your life is becoming conscious. Which, and this is aligned with the purpose of the universe. It, wants it, to, it is moving towards more consciousness, fuller consciousness. Becoming conscious in your daily life is the purpose of your life. The primary purpose of your life is to allow this awareness to come through you and thereby transform the conditioned or the conditioned patterns. Some may remain the relatively harmless patterns. There are certain idiosyncrasies, characteristics in people that even as more and more awareness comes in, they still manifest certain behaviors that are not, not perhaps particularly harmful towards others, hopefully not towards yourself, although there are accounts of people who became completely awakened and yet didn't let go of certain patterns like smoking. It, it has there are one or two famous cases who they continued to smoke and they didn't care anymore. They just, it was a pattern so deeply ingrained in the body, but it didn't interfere with the arising of awareness. That's relatively rare. No matter how hard I try, I cannot get drunk anymore. 
that's uh, not totally. I don't try to get drunk. So, uh, <laughs> I do enjoy a glass of wine or two, rarely more, and that's fine. I recommend, though, just as the awareness is arising in you, that uh, even relatively small amounts of alcohol could interfere with the arising presence until the presence is deeply established and you're, it's already, you're already embodying presence, in which case uh, you wouldn't even want to indulge in that kind of thing. I, when I experienced uh, some years ago this smoking, this um, 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 a joint, it's called a joint. <laughs> uh, 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 I said, oh, well, that's interesting, but my normal state of consciousness is so much better. Uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm peaceful already. I don't need to dull my senses to feel peaceful. I'm not totally against it. If you occasionally enjoy it, it's fine. After all, it's only a plant. Anything that you do in excess, of course, is no longer a good thing. Even a good thing is no longer a good thing if you take it too far. I read about a woman a year ago somewhere who she learned that w drinking water is, is, cleanses the body and um, detoxifies the body. And she got this thought got, got hold of her in her mind, and there wasn't any awareness behind it. And this thought became obsessive in her mind, and she drank so much. She thought, if I, if both drinking water is good, and drinking more water must be better, and drinking even more water must be even better. And so eventually, she killed herself through drinking water. Uh, and again, this can happen easily where, when you get into the grip of one particular thought form that gets hold of you, and then. This is uh, not th th all that uncommon that this happens on a personal level. It can happen that thoughts, they are little energy formations. They are like little entities with a certain lifespan. They, they arise <laughs> and then they subside. And, and they perhaps they stand up, don't subside completely. They maybe then they got back into some corner. And, and so, and, and other, and you can have s strings of thoughts arising in your mind. Now, it sometimes happens that just as a viral infection can take over your body, so the virus multiplies quickly, and then you are, you are infected by by this virus that is, is taking over, and then the virus is being fought by antibodies, whatever the body has enormous intelligence that's in every cell, in the same way that this happens on a physical level with the virus, a thought can infiltrate your mind and have basically the same function as a virus on the physical level. So some thoughts are mental viruses that take over almost the entire mind. And this, for example, is the case with people who develop obsessive ideas. The internet doesn't particularly help with that either, because if you, there, there could be a person who is watching something on YouTube, and so he's taking in things, taking into your mind. And suddenly there's something, something there 
and sud suddenly you take in this mental formation which becomes a virus in your mind that, wow, now I know, know how the world works. This is, they are all doing it. They are many kinds of conspiracy theories are viral infections, mental viral infections. I'm not saying that some may not be actually true. That's another matter. <laughs> because the world is a crazy place. Some may, but let's put that aside for a moment. Uh, this thought creates other related thoughts and then whatever they look at, they look at through the screen of that particular thought formation and they can immediately interpret everything. Even people who are ideologically possessed by a religion, which means not people who are, who are spiritual in any way because you, you can be religious and spiritual, but you can also be religious and uh, only ideological. So the religion becomes only a thought form and some people are possessed by their religion as a certain thought form and through which they, they can look in any situation and immediately interpret it according to this very limited thought form. They know immediately the answer. And mostly the answer, of course, implies uh, if, you, if you don't believe exactly the same as I believe, you will go to hell. <laughs> I know that for sure. And in many cases, these people are already inhabiting a mental hell without knowing it. So be careful. It's very unlikely that anybody here, there may be one or two exceptions, <laughs> uh, would get infected by a mental virus in that way. But be, you have to be any kind of obsessive thoughts that don't go away. On a relatively insignificant level, it can happen even a simple thing like the, uh, obsessively thinking one particular thought or a tune. You can't, can't get rid of a tune that's in your head. It, it is also a temporary mental virus that you can't let go of it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Other relatively minor forms of this dysfunction are, for example, obsessive kinds of behavior, like you have to go to your light switch or the electricity switch to make sure that you've switched it off, to switch it off when you're about to leave the house, get your key, did I really switch it off? <laughs> obsessive behavior, again, that's viral infections to, to persistent thought forms. And again, it happens in the absence of awareness. So you're at the mercy of thought. Dreadful thing, this is all, this is the, the downside. This is the price we have to pay for the amazing thing that is the ability to engage in conceptual thinking. It's an incredible step forward in the evolution of consciousness on this planet, and yet we can now see, yes, there is a heavy price to pay, and everything has its ev evolutionary lifespan, so the way I see it, we've come to the end of the identification with thought. It's gone on for thousands of years, 
Uh, Steve Taylor, in his first book, it's called The Fall, which is a history of the human ego. So it goes back thousands of years. And more and more have we lost touch with that connectedness with who we are beyond this form. So am I saying then that there was a time when humans were enlightened? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But there was a time before we got taken over by this great thing that is thinking, before we began to derive almost our entire sense of identity from the movement of thought, there was a time before that where we lived in a state of much more in a state of oneness with with nature with ourselves that there was we were not anxious beings anxious about tomorrow or regretful about yesterday because there was no tomorrow and yesterday why was there no tomorrow and yesterday because Tomorrow and yesterday are thought forms. <laughs> now, in some minds, you might you thought tomorrow and yesterday. Well, if tomorrow and yesterday were had an absolute reality, you could go there. You can experience. Let's say tomorrow. Tomorrow is a thought form because if it were reality you would you would be able to reach or some great explorer at some point would have reached a place called tomorrow and said I have arrived at tomorrow it actually exists <laughs> but it doesn't because the moment you arrive in tomorrow it's today and it's now so although we need the thought forms of past and future in order to operate in this dimension, of course, that's fine, there's nothing wrong with it, but ultimately they have no reality except as thoughts. So for the animal doesn't have that yet, it doesn't think about tomorrow, it doesn't think about, yes, it, there is a memory there, but it doesn't operate like the human memory. Many, many ancient cultures have a myth of the golden age. Paradise in the Old Testament is just one manifestation, one version of that myth. They have it in India, they have it in many, many cultures that had no contact with each other. There's a myth as if it were a distant memory, a very distant memory of a time when life flowed with ease and, and humans were happy. They sometimes call it the Golden Age, the myth of the Golden Age. And I believe there's some reality, it's not just fantasy, there's some reality and there's a distant memory there of what human life was like before the humans began to be dominated by thought. And we're perhaps free of thought, but it was a lower stage of development. They were closer to the animal at that point. And just as your dog is, the dog is usually more joyful than the owner of the dog <laughs> uh, because the dog does not think about yesterday and tomorrow and is present. So the, the original time of humans as they began to evolve out of 
other levels of consciousness. Um, so it's not that they were enlightened, but they were relatively free of psychological suffering, or perhaps completely free of psychological suffering, because they had not yet formulated, created, the psychological me entity, the Narcissus thing, which is the myth of Narcissus, the man who saw his reflection in a pool of water and then developed an image of who he is and had a relationship with the image that had not happened yet. That, and so th that, because it has, had not happened yet, humans were relatively free of all this turmoil and mentally created mental, emotional suffering. There was some, undoubtedly there was physical, there may have been some physical suffering. Uh, and this is similar to uh, humans, unevolved humans exist even to this day, whose mind is so undeveloped that they haven't really created an ego yet. Their, their mind is not developed enough to have become an egoic identity. And uh, nowadays, because we, are, we have more empathy these days, or we can become politically correct, whatever it is, that we, we say they are mentally challenged, some of them, but, but there are many kinds of mental challenges. There's a particular kind of mental challenge that I'm talking about here, and that is uh, a person who doesn't do much thinking because the, the mind isn't developed enough. So the person goes through life kind of, and some of them are very happy. Uh, in, the, in the past, they, they were called the fool, and every village had a fool, or two, or three. And the uh, fool would go just smiling and happy. <laughs> How are you? I'm great, I'm feeling great. Man. No problem, no, no, no problem. Of course he had no problem, because in order to have a, a problem, you need to start thinking. <laughs> so if you're not thinking, where's your problem? A challenge, yes, maybe a, a wild animal is running towards you, it's a challenge, but it's not a problem. A problem needs time, and a problem needs thought to survive in you. What problem are you having right now? Right now, what's your problem? What's your problem? <laughs> okay, let's see. Well, it's not here. Well, yeah, but I have a pain in my knee. No, it's not a. Pro it's a pain in the knee. It's not a problem. Yeah, but tonight I'm going to. I have to make this phone call. No, 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 no. What? What is your problem now? It's very hard to find a problem now. <laughs> if you're just present in the now, yeah, but you have to start thinking and revive all that to know all the challenges that you are going to have tomorrow and next week and what's going to happen to me next year. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. The heaviness of all that, the heaviness of that, of myself. The, the, you experience yourself as a burden. You carry yourself 
I often see when I look at people, not here, and I, I mean that, that's not, I'm not joking, not so much here, with one or two exceptions perhaps, <laughs> but I see, I often see people that, that are they're carrying the burden of themselves, and, and it's a heavy burden of their heavy personality with all its conditioning, and they're not happy, maybe for very brief instances, after a big meal, maybe say, ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> or you have a few drinks, Again, every human goes towards that in the brief uh, intermediate state between wakefulness and sleep. As you go towards sleep, you regress to some extent to the pre-conceptual level of consciousness. And if you stay conscious for a moment, you can actually sense that as you, as you are so tired that you, are, that you can't think anymore about your problems, just can't. No matter how hard you try, when you're becoming really tired, I don't remember my problems, I'm just too tired, can't. And if you, if you keep some alertness in the background, some presence that observes the tiredness, you also observe that you're, uh, it feels, as you move towards sleep, it actually feels delicious. Sleep, when you move towards it, has a sweetness, a deliciousness, an enormous pull to it, an enormous pull. It says, come here, <laughs> come, come. And so you're going, you're going, and so you're going towards the unmanifested, you're going, it's, you return, every night you die basically into dreamless sleep, you, you go into the unmanifested, it pulls you, it needs, you go, it's like the heartbeat. You go, you go out, the heart goes It's like the in-breath and the out-breath. And your consciousness goes out into the manifested, and then something calls you from the unmanifested, come here, <laughs> enough of that. And you go, now, if you didn't sleep, every night, as you know, you would go insane. You can't, you have to go back there. You have to go back, and it's the same movement. It's, there's the outward movement, and there's the return movement in day and night, out and return. And most likely, because the microcosm and the macrocosm are just the reflections of each other, and most likely the entire universe operates in this way, source breathes out, the universe comes into existence, which is the, the vast time spans of billions of years, and life increases in its complexity, and grows and grows, more and more manifestation, complexity, consciousness flowing into form, manifesting through form, dissolving forms, creating better forms, continuously going, 
out the entire universe. And then one we can reasonably assume, because this as above, so below, that then the universe experiences also return into complete oneness. And then, so, but let's go back to sleep. Uh, so for a short period of, for short moments, you kind of regress to the pre-thinking state of humanity as you, in the intermediate stage between wakefulness and sleep. And so the fool, the traditional fool in mythology also, because he has no ego, or that he's not intelligent, but because he has no ego, he's more deeply connected with source than, than humans who have gone out further. And so in many f myths, the fool has an important function. The fool often performs tasks that more developed humans cannot perform. And that even in contemporary literature, we have the same with the, the Hobbit and so on. The Hobbit, who is a relatively unintelligent, very cute being, but but relatively unintelligent, very simple, a simpleton, but only he can do certain things that the more evolved, the more clever, intelligent, they, they can't do it. So the great, the important task is entrusted to the fool sometimes. And uh, you may want to rewatch movies like old movies like Forrest Gump or the or very even older movie Being There with Peter Sellers. They are about people who, are act, who exist below the egoic consciousness, and the most miraculous things happen to them. Uh, so life, they're kind of supported by life. So there's, there's the golden age, and now we've come to the, the end of an evolutionary cycle, and that's the end of the conceptualization cycle where identity equals mental concept because it's becoming more and more dysfunctional now. In the same way that the life of a caterpillar is becoming dysfunctional when just as it's about to become a butterfly, there comes a point in the life of a caterpillar that when it becomes more and more difficult to continue as a caterpillar, I can't crawl anymore. Something is happening to me. I'm unhappy. What am I doing here? <laughs> well, you're meant to be a butterfly and it's going to happen very soon. What? <laughs> oh. <laughs> there, of course, the caterpillar doesn't have a choice. Now, with a more evolved level of consciousness that humans have, once a certain amount of consciousness has come in, you need to cooperate with the, with the movement of awakening. Um, now, in order to be able to do that, of course, you need to already have the, uh, a minimum of awareness needs to be there so that you even know what it is that I'm talking about. There are still many humans, when I say awakening or awareness, uh, what are you talking about, awareness? Well. 
but sometimes these humans, you just have to, you may encounter some of these in your daily life from time to time. Humans who seem to be completely unconscious. Well, it's not that you may encounter, you will encounter every day. <laughs> and sometimes, um, be very careful with wanting to teach spirituality to unconscious humans, unless there's a, there's a little bit of an opening, a little bit of a question. There, there may be the right moment, maybe there, when you can say, do you have a voice in your head that never stops talking? <laughs> At night, when you worry, isn't that a voice in your head? Yeah, is that who you are? What do you mean? <laughs> it could be the beginning of an awakening. Or a simple thing like saying, can you feel the energy in your hands? What? Yeah, close your eyes, hold your hands. And how can you know whether your hands are still there or not without moving their hands or looking at them? Hmm. Oh, yeah, I can feel there's an aliveness there. Okay. And then you, this can be the beginning. You can do it to your parents or your whoever, your children, your friend your ex-husband or wife even, who knows? <laughs> Maybe they're not as unconscious as they seem to be, who knows? <laughs> you can, and you're not, you don't tell them you need to disidentify from the conceptual mind. <laughs> Feel the energy in your hands. Now that works better. Can you feel the energy in your feet also? Perhaps at the same time. And maybe even the rest of your body. Are you alive or are you dead? How do you know? <laughs> so if you're alive, can you feel that you're alive? Or is it just an idea in your head that you're alive? Can you feel the aliveness that pervades your body or not? Or are you dead already? You, you sometimes be a little bit, be a little bit provocative, it might work. And and so the person suddenly, so instead of talking about mind or stillness, you just direct their attention away from thinking because you cannot feel your inner body and do a lot of thinking, or really any thinking, at the same time. You cannot. And that's an amazing fact. This is why the body awareness can be a powerful, very simple way for people who have no interest in spirituality, no interest whatsoever, can become an opening for those people. Or even your breasts, take a conscious breast. Avoid the word conscious. <laughs> can, you, can you feel yourself breathing? Can you, can you feel, what does it feel like? This can be done, this should be done at school. Every school should have that program where people. Uh, There's so there's a lot that they learn that is useless, and what really matters is not rarely taught yet, except by individual teachers so far. But it will and must become part of the curriculum as the most important subject. Awareness, the most important subject. You might even find a different name for it for the school. But I mean, there's so much many children in this mind-dominated world absurdly conceptualized, mind-dominated world, many children at a relatively early age already exist in a state of 
mental confusion and turmoil. Many children have lost touch with nature. They're no longer, they do, no longer go out and, and interact with nature, which is the, the most vital thing for a growing human being. They, they spend hours in front of these little screens. A dreadful fate. Many children don't play anymore outside. In some states of, the sta of this country, I don't know whether here or it depends probably what area you're in, the world is so <laughs> crazy. Um, if your child plays alone in the street, they'll come and arrest your the parents. <laughs> in, well, in some cases I can see, yes, the world is a dangerous place, yes, but... Uh, So then children suffer already obesity because they don't move much anymore and cannot relate to other humans because it's all, it's all on texting and it's all on their games that they play. And all. We, need this need, we need to counteract all this. This is our challenge now in this age, freeing ourselves from the complete dominance by the conceptual mind and the amplification of the conceptual mind through technology, which are these devices, because they are basically the human mind amplified even more, so it becomes even more challenging to deal with. So we need to have clear, develop clear guidelines for bringing up children so that they do not develop addiction to these things, because even before these things were created, these devices, digital, the digital world, for years I've been saying one of the greatest addictions is not drugs, and so in the, perhaps the greatest addiction is the addiction to thinking. You cannot stop thinking even when you don't need it. And in fact, a large percentage of that thinking is of a negative kind that makes your and other people's lives difficult, incredibly difficult, through an excessive, an excess of dysfunctional and useless thinking about yourself and this, and come to all kinds of weird conclusions about this and that, live inhabiting something, a conceptual reality that you call my life, that makes you unhappy, and you think, the narrative that you call your life is your life. It's, so this is why I differentiate between your life situation and your life. Your life situation exists in time, it has a past and a future, and is whatever it is in your life that you're dealing with, that's your situation, but it's not your life. Your life is now. Your life is now. Your life situation is past and future. Now, don't let your life be consumed completely by your life situation, which is a conceptual reality. Yes, you need to deal with things in the moment when you can deal with them. Sometimes you may need to think about them in a focused way. That's fine. But not to be completely taken over by useless thinking about these things. And again, life situation, Life, your life is now. But of course, I'd like to add one little thing. When you say your life, you say my life. The moment you speak, you create a duality. That's how language operates. My life already implies that there's two of you. 
there's you who has a life. <laughs> my life, so there's my, me, and my, me and my life. <laughs> there's two of us here. <laughs> That's a nice, uh, you can t title your autobiography, Me and My Life. <laughs> how, how we get on together. or don't get on. <laughs> so you don't have a life, you are life. What are you apart from life? <laughs> Nothing. You are life, so you don't have a life, you are life. A manifestation of the one life, a brief manifestation in this form of the one underlying life which is consciousness. Life evolves, life is the evolving consciousness. As I see it, life is inherent, and consciousness is inherent in everything that we see, even in a rock. Uh, we could call a rock frozen consciousness, in the same way that water, when it freezes, becomes hard and solid, but it's still water. So the mineral realm, the realm of so-called inanimate matter, we could call it frozen consciousness, uh, that vibrates at a different frequency. Because if you look into so-called inanimate matter, if you're a physicist, and you examine what does this consist, this seemingly dead object, if you go into it, you realize it's not dead at all. There's continuous movement of molecules in motion inside the rock, inside anything, any inanimate object is full of aliveness. It's called, they call it energy. And in between their vast spaces, there's just 99.9%, empty space, including the physical body, because that's, that is the space between the atoms and molecules, just vast spaces. So everything is alive, solid matter, frozen consciousness, and then you get life, vegetable life. You could say consciousness becoming like liquid, like liquid water, it's different quality to it. And then you get in consciousness becoming mind, even, even already the animal mind, the human mind. Maybe that could be compared to becoming vapor, vaporized water. We don't want to go too far with these analogies, but just that, so there's only, there's only one life manifesting in different forms, and you are that. So you're not, there's, there's me and there's the rest of the universe. That's the misperception of the ego. Here's me, I'm, I've been put in this universe. I've been put here by who knows, how and by whom, I've, or I've accidentally I have appeared here, and here's the rest of the universe. And it's all, everything that I see is other, it's not me, it's not me, not me, this is me. And then you try to extend the me, you identify with clothes and possessions. No, that's, my house is me too. I've grown. You are, there's a saying by, uh, I believe it was Alan Watts, spiritual teacher in the 70s, 60s, 70s. He said something like, 
you are something that the universe is doing in the same way that a wave is something that the ocean is doing. In other words, you're not a noun, you are a verb. Ultimately, nothing is a noun. Everything is, is an activity of the one life, the one universe. You are something that the universe is doing. Just as the wave is not separate from the ocean, the wave is something that the ocean is doing. <laughs> so your consciousness is the consciousness of the universe experiencing itself and experiencing the, this dimensional reality. There's no separation there. So in addition to being a person for a little while, you are the consciousness of the universe, manifesting briefly as somebody with a name and a gender. You can change it, but it's still a gender. So manifesting briefly as this or that, and then that dissolves, and then perhaps the same ray of consciousness may persist for a few manifest again, but ultimately it, there's no separation from source, it all emanates from the one source. There's only one life, there's only one consciousness. The humans are not autonomous entities. The clock is at minus six. <laughs> yes, I've gone beyond the allotted time. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. <laughs>